You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. So I want to continue this morning. We've got what God has been speaking to us as a church, to me. Uh, and so I, I preached on turn your heart towards God. And for me, that is the key that God is speaking at the moment, about the heart. Um, and so, as, as we said, we, we talked about uh, uh, the fallow ground of our heart. Uh, I spoke about turning our ears to God, but it's about our heart to God. So I want to talk this morning about something that God's heart is passionate about, and that is God's house. We might have a PowerPoint. Uh, yep, the technology is working, hopefully. So God's house. The fact is the Bible tells us that God is passionate for his house. So if we want to have hearts after God, we will be passionate for the house of God. So I want to tell you a story. It's in the Bible. It covers many chapters and many books. So I'm going to tell it mainly in my own words. Um, and I want to tell you a bit of my story, how um, about my calling, how God has spoken to me. But I think that speaks into the calling of the church, so all of us. So let me try and put this story in the Bible in the context. The Bible is many books. It's one story of God. God has written, uh, written history. And I'm going to focus on one part. The Bible is a book about how God is uh, bringing people back to himself. That he created uh, us, created the whole of creation, and he created us to have a relationship with him. But we turned away from God and went our own ways. And so this, the Bible is a story of how God is bringing us back. And the, the, the crux of the story is Jesus. Jesus paying for our sins on the cross and bringing them back to, us back to himself. But in that process, going up to the cross, in the Old Testament, God chooses a nation, a people called Israel. And he puts them in their own land, a good land, it says, flowing with milk and honey. And he gives them good laws to, to rule the nation by. Laws not to restrict them, but help communities to live well. And the, the, the best known ones is the Ten Commandments. And those laws are about worship and daily life. And worship of God in the Old Testament involves following those laws, which are good. God puts it in the heart of a king, King Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, to build a temple for God in the capital, Jerusalem. And he builds this magnificent temple to be the focus of national worship and to reflect the glory of the glorious God. But unfortunately, time and time again, the people of Israel turn away from God and they stop obeying his laws and they turn to false gods that the nations around them served. And God warns them time and time again to, to turn back to him, to stop uh, running after other gods, but turn back to him and he'll forgive them. But time and time again, they ignore the words uh, of God through the prophets. And so reluctantly, God allows powerful nations to attack them. So, <coughs> excuse me. He allows the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come and invade Israel and to take the people away into exile in a foreign land. And they destroy the temple of God 
destroy the beautiful temple and uh, they rob all the articles of gold and silver in that place. Why did God allow his temple, his land, his people to be treated in this way? I heard recently somebody say it's this, because the, the, they, the treasure was robbed, the silver and gold, but the real treasure to God was the hearts of the people. That's God's treasure, and that had already gone far from God. And so allowing the treasure to be uh, taken away was a symbol of what already happened in their hearts. And the temple is destroyed because uh, that symbol of God's presence, uh, the people said we didn't want God's presence anymore. So Israel was left in a desperate state. Uh, it looked naturally though, as though that was the end of the nation of Israel. But God didn't abandon his people. This, does this sound familiar, this story? Have you had in your lives times where you've turned away from him, you've been far from him, but God never abandons you? God promised them to bring them back to their land. And many years ago, we used to talk about, a lot about restoration. This story I'm going to talk about is about restoration. God putting back in place what's been lost. People back in their place. So it starts with a promise of God to bring them back. And I'm going to pick up the story in Ezra chapter 1. <coughs> At this stage, the people of Israel are mainly in exile in Babylon. And then the, the empire of Babylon is taken over by the empire of Persia. And their king is Cyrus. The, king, the, the emperor, in fact, is Cyrus. So it says in Ezra 1, we have it on the screen. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in, at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among the, you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide with them, for provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart moved, God had moved, prepared to go and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. This is the start of the restoration of, of uh, Jerusalem and the temple. And it starts with a pro proclamation from the king. And the king is not Cyrus. The proclamation comes from God. God declares that he's going to restore uh, the temple. And he puts that in the heart of Cyrus. Uh, a, man, uh, a, a king who does not worship God. But the true God. And uh, God decides that people are going to return to rebuild the temple. It all starts with God. 
doesn't start with Cyrus. Do you know what? The people selling Christ Church in Ross are in God's hands. God is in control. If God has declared that's ours, and we think he has, we believe he has at the moment, he could say different, then that's ours. So these people that were hundreds of miles away in Babylon suddenly had a passion to rebuild the house of God. Most of them had never ever seen the previous temple because they were in exile up to 70 years. Um, and so many of them never been born. Many of them had never seen the temple that had been destroyed, but they'd heard stories. And they gave up their homes, their jobs, to travel a difficult, dangerous journey of hundreds of miles to rebuild God's house. They were passionate for God's house. And when they, um, when they made that difficult journey, and you read this in the book of Ezra, when you, they made that difficult journey, they got to Jerusalem and they had an offering. As if they'd not given up enough already, they had an offering to rebuild the temple. You saw that in chapter 2. Why? Because God had moved their hearts. It says in chapter 1, everyone whose heart God had moved, stir a passion in me was singing. Stir a passion for your name. They had a passion for God's name and God's house. And it wasn't all of them. Many stayed where they were. But God was on the move. He moved the heart of King Cyrus and then he moved the heart of the people and they then physically moved back to Jerusalem. It was all God. The people of God responded. Now applying this to today, in the New Testament, the church is described as God's house. It describes us as living stone. By the way, the church is not a building. It's not this building, it's not any building of stones or brick. Mm -hmm. The church is people, it's us. And not just us, in the church in Hereford is every Christian in Hereford. And God's got a passion for his church. We are part of that. It's described as his family. Another word for family in the church is house or household. We are living stones. The Bible says we are the living stones of his church. It says that we are God's temple. Jesus is very passionate for his church. Amen? It's in Ephesians it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ is, the church is his bride. He's completely besotted with his bride. When Jesus went into his temple, the temple, and saw that it was not being used correctly, that people were trading in there, buying and selling, uh, he, he drove them out with a whip. And, and it says his disciples remembered the psalm, zeal for your house has consumed him. Jesus is consumed with zeal for his church. So the question is, has God moved your heart for him? And for his house. Is he moving in your heart? I believe in his many hearts he's moving. Back to the story in Ezra in the Old Testament. The first thing they rebuilt in chapter 3 was the altar. The heart of worship. They went right to the heart of the temple when there was no temple there still. And the place that the altar would be and they rebuilt 
the temple to establish, re-establish worship that stopped. <clears throat> and then they started to build the rest of the temple. Then you see in chapter 4 that came opposition to the rebuilding. So people, uh, uh, Jerusalem was still under the rule of the empire of um, Persia, excuse me. (coughs) Oh dear. And the people around them wrote letters to the governors and said, these people are rebelling against you in, in building this temple and they got the emperor to stop the work. And the work on the temple stopped for 18 years. They, they'd started well, and they stopped um, building for 18 years. And then in chapter 5, it says this, that the prophets Haggai and Zechariah came along. God sent prophets to encourage them. And it says this in chapter 5. Now Haggai the prophet... And Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedach, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. God sent prophets to speak to the people of Israel and the work started again. Now I want to look at some of the things that <clears throat> these two guys said, mainly some of the things that Haggai said. Zechariah 1 verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. It says in the New Testament, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is really the key of the message that we've been speaking of last weeks. Turn back to God. Come back with a whole heart to God. Let's be wholehearted. Come to God. Return to me and God will return to us. We're looking for revival, yeah? We want God to move. But part of it is that our moving towards God with our hearts. So I'm going to share a bit about what Haggai said. But I want to just share you where, where this came into my story. Uh, and my calling. So back in, 90, back in the, when I was in my 20s, I won't say how, how old I was. It was over 10 years ago. I was a Christian in Huddersfield. That's where I'm from originally. Um, I'd become a Christian at a college, and I was in a church in Huddersfield. And our church used to go to the Bible Week in Harrogate, and um, we enjoyed that. And one year, at the last night, the preacher preached such an inspiring message it was like, you're going to go home and God's going to move through you and the church is going to grow and God's glory will come through the church to the nation. It was so inspiring. I was just so excited about what was coming. Now, the Sunday after the Bible week, excuse me. <coughs> the, Sunday, excuse me. the Sunday after the Bible week was usually the Sunday that everybody shared all the, the fantastic stories of what God did in the Bible week. This is a great Sunday. It was always full of testimonies. And so I went that Sunday, just I was so excited in the Bible week and just to hear what people had said and what God had spoken, what God had done. Um, uh, and I found that the church was quite empty because uh, as is tradition, that during the Bible week, many people that had gone had got a cold. And so... 
I was just really depressed. I thought, yeah, here's the army of God, the people of God set to go and take the nation for God. But oh dear, we all got cold. <laughs> and uh, maybe, maybe next week or next month or next year. And so I was complaining to God saying, God, I read your Bible in Acts. And here I see a church that started with a, a, a preach and 3,000 people got saved and many people were healed and the church grew quickly to 5,000 and many more people were healed and the gospel went out and the spirit came on people. That's the church I want. And the church I'm in is a church that's not there because it's got a cold. And this is right. And I said, God, if this is what church is going to be, then let's just forget it. Let's, I'll give up because this is not what you wrote. Yeah. Amen to what's coming, not what it was, yeah? Amen. And so I was still reading, and I, read, I was reading Haggai for the first time, the prophet Haggai that was there at this time of restoration. And I came to chapter 3, and I read this in uh, chapter 2. There isn't a chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And I said, yes, God. Yes, God, I read your words, the church in Acts, the church of the New Testament, and, I, and that former house, if you like, and I look at the church I'm in, and it's nothing. That's what I think, Lord. I think it's nothing. And I read on. And chapter, chapter 2, a few verses later, says this. I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. I had no idea what that meant. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, said the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. And something struck me in that. Just those words, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. In other words, God just exploded in my heart with a promise that the church will be <coughs> greater than the church in Acts. Because God doesn't go downhill, he goes uphill. The church will be greater. And I'm not talking about CLC. I'm not church, talking about Church of England. I'm talking about the Church of Jesus, of which we are both parts. We're part of that. And that exploded in my heart. That was many years ago. That was 35, more, more than 35 years ago, that God exploded in my heart with that promise that I carry today that the church will be great, will be glorious. I wish I could communicate to you just how much that promise has meant to me and means to me today. The same. It's never diminished. I don't know what it means, really. I had no idea what a glorious church meant. And I've spent the years since then learning a bit about that. But it will be better than Acts. It will be. Because God's done that once. So what he's going to do is going to be greater. And my hope, and my vision for the church started here at this promise. <clears throat> what I want to uh, say to you today is to have a vision for God's church. Not what you see today. 
not what you see with your eyes as the state of the church, but God, what God reveals to your heart is his promise. See, those that came back, back in the Old Testament now, in Ezra, they went back to Jerusalem. Some of them have never seen it. They just heard stories of how glorious it was. And when they got back, they came back to a ruin. They came back to a ruin, just with a promise. But it says in Haggai, God was with them. God was with them. And God is with us to build his house. And God is passionate about his house. You may look at the church, I understand if you look at the church and think, it's really not up to much. It's really not what I expect. It's, it's not what I want. I agree. You might look at the leaders and think, oh, I'm not so sure. But, but it's God's church. It's God's church. Our leader is Jesus. And he says, I will build my church. He will build his church and he's going to do a good job. It's going to be a great and glorious church. And we're going to see it. It's not just like waiting for him to come home, come back and rescue us. The church will. It says that nations will come to the church. That the council will come to the church. It's already happened. They come and they, they come into our building. But it's not that, there's nothing so special about this building. But the presence of God is here. When they come and they hold meetings here. You may have not known that they do. And they just know there's something different about it. But nations will come and they'll, they'll seek wisdom from the church. That's what I mean about a glorious church. It's not just miracles, not just uh, healings. It's about God's love amongst us that goes out. And people just say there's something different. This is, this is what we need in the church. Not that we become prime minister, not a rule. That's never really worked out well for the church. But the church is the one that is the salt and light to the earth. Whatever, do you know what? Whatever you can imagine the church could do, God can do more because he can do more than we can imagine. Whatever you, how great and glorious you can imagine the church to be, it's going to be greater because God's greater. And God is passionate for his church. It is, seems to be quite popular these days for people to leave church thinking, well, I have no problem saying things like, I've no problem with God. I've got no problem with Jesus, but the church I just can't cope with. And I know what you mean. But the problem with that is, is if you follow God, if you follow Jesus, he's passionately in love with his church. He's not blind to its faults. He died for his faults. And if we're not passionately in love with his church, then we're not in line with Jesus. Yeah. And it's hard, isn't it? Because we know all the faults. You could give me a list of all the stuff that's wrong with CLC. I can give you a bigger list back. <laughs> Amen? Amen. <laughs> but God loves his church. Amen. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Beautifully imperfect body of Christ. God's family. He loves his family. Anybody here got a perfect family? <laughs> but you love them. Hopefully. Family is great, isn't it? Usually. It's not easy, but God loves his family. We have a good father in our family. And I want to put this challenge to you about God's house, of which CLC is a part. To have a vision 
for his church. I want to say that I can have no vision for Christian Life Church except that it's part of a bigger vision for his church. Don't know whether I should say that, but that's true. I want to challenge you. I believe most of you here are ones who've had your heart moved by God to come back to him, to, to come to him, but his heart is for his church. And I believe God wants to move you to help build his house, to rebuild his house, his church. And it's not about filling the rotus, although we, that would be good. It's about understanding the vision that God has for you and working for that vision. Being passionate about that vision. These guys in the Old Testament, they left their jobs, they left their homes, they left everything they had because they had a passion to see God's house built. I'm not saying you all need to leave your jobs and do that, but where does God's house fit in your priorities? I want to I go back a chapter in Haggai and read this. Remember, Haggai came and prophesied at a time when they'd started to build, and then for 18 years, they'd stopped building. And Haggai says this in chapter 1. This is what the Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. You see, that's a brilliant excuse for stopping building for 18 years. It's not the season. They justified it by being, it's not God's time. It's time for a break. And we can find all sorts of excuses. You know, in our life, we have lots of seasons. Sometimes the season is very intense and very busy, especially got little kids or, or whatever. You could be doing lots of things. And he say, it's not the time for me to build God's house. I'm having a break. There's, there's never a time to have a break from building God's house. I'm not saying... You should be here every Sunday. But it would be nice if you were here quietly. Because this, look around you. This is God's house. These people, they're God's people, God's family. You know, we, we get to see our family, me and Adriana, very little. And we miss them. But this is God's family. And then he goes on to say, Then the word of the Lord came. So there's a contract. These people say, but the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? God has no problems, no, had no problem with them living in paneled houses. God has no problem with you having a paneled house or any house. I'm hoping that this week that our bathroom is paneled with waterproof panels and we get a decent bathroom. I don't think God has got a problem with that. But the problem he has is we neglect God's house at the sake of our own. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Food and clothing, panelled houses if he wants to give you that. But he said, look after God's interests first and God will look after your interests. Look after his interests first. God loves you, each and every one of you. And he cares for you and your house, I mean your family. But the, the, the issue that 
issue that the problem with them neglecting the building the house was not just God's problem. It was their problem in that they'd come to Jerusalem for a purpose. They weren't on a holiday. It didn't just decide to move to a nice city. God had a purpose for them. And for 18 years, they didn't live the purpose that God had got for them. And that's really sad. We've got lots of plans in our life and lots of purposes. But to think that our plans could be better than God's plan is, is naive and, and crazy, really. You know, God's plan for your life is fantastic for his house. And the best thing for your house, your family, your life, is to follow God's plans. God's not selfish. God's not thinking, I want my house. Stop building it. No. He could just do it in an instant. Flick a finger and get what he wants. But he wants us to be involved in building a house that will last forever, that will be eternal. And it's okay to build your own house and your life and your career. It's okay. But he's saying there is something much, much bigger than you can imagine. In sales, it's much, much bigger than filling every seat in this place over and over. That's part of it. It's about the kingdom of God. God's will going into every part of society, every nation on earth, and every site, into in education and politics and business, every area that you can think of, God's glory to fill it. That's what we're part of. We can't, I can't do all that. None of you can do it individually. But together, the, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, it says. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And I used to, when God spoke to me in that verse <clears throat> about the glory of the latter house being great and the glory of the former house, I thought one day God would drop it down from heaven. Magic. No, it comes through us building with God. It says in, it says in Haggai and Ezra, it says that they worked hard and God was with them. And that's what we're at, working hard for his house. So I just want to leave you with this challenge. Will you care for God's house? Will you bring your gift to God's house? I know that many of you are doing that. Many of you do that. And maybe you do it out of duty, out of love. But I want, you to, well, I want us to do it out of passion. That we love God's people. We look around and say, this is God's family. It's a beautiful house of God. But we need to get more people in. We need to see the glory filled. And I just want to ask the question, have you forgotten why you're here, your purpose? These people have forgotten why they were in Jerusalem. And, got, and so they got and did other things. If you've forgotten what God called you to, there are challenges to, to come back to it. Say, God, I'm coming back to the purpose that you called me for. Because God is passionate for his house. So I want to pray. I wanted to call it the musicians. <laughs> Let's sing that song, Passion for Your Name. Because you know what I what came to me when I in, in back in Huddersfield when I was arguing with God, complaining to God, was this there must be more than this. There must be, and there is. There is. But God fills his house with his presence. So let's come as we sing this. Let's just, you know, if you, if you know you need to come back, not just to God, 
but to the purpose within the house of God, within his church. And just come to God and say, God, I'm coming back for the purpose you've got for me. Father, thank you. It is so wonderful to be part of your family, your house. And I'm so privileged that now your house is not bricks and stones, but it is living stones. And we are a house together to house the the presence of God by your spirit and that your glory will be in this, Father. Not for our glory, but for your glory. And we pray, Lord, if we're kind of lost the way, forgotten the calling, if we just need to come back to you, I thank you that you're gracious. I thank you. You send you word. You send Haggai. You sent Zechariah not to tell them off, just to get them back on track. We pray now that, that your spirit would speak to us if we need to get back on track. Father, we love you. We love to be part of your house, your family. Help us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Just want to say that I don't know everybody here. I know most of you. If you have never made a commitment to, to follow God, if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of God, God has got a purpose for you, bigger than you can ever imagine. And if you want to be part of that, then you need to follow Jesus because he's the way. And if, you, if that's you, and say, speak to me, speak to someone else, and, and we'll explain what it means to follow Jesus and be part of this wonderful plan that God's got for each one of us. Amen.